Have you ever been told you're too combative just because you ask questions? Do you believe there's a link between mental health and physical health? During today's meal, I speak with a behavior analyst, personal trainer, and a small business owner about their goals for 2024, what advice they'd give their younger self, and their New York food recommendations. Which reminds me of today's behavior bite. Expanding food repertoires. In our field, we tend to work with a lot of selective eaters and are asked to help expand their food repertoire. However, I'm always a little wary of this goal because people tend to jump in with forced compliance and withholding reinforcement. Coming from a former selective eater, I can tell you that forcing an agenda doesn't work. It takes multiple presentations in a safe environment with safe people to feel comfortable enough to try something new. Welcome to Behavior Bites with Rosie Eats, where we share a virtual meal with behavior analysts, psychologists, educators, and other helping professionals. Building a community can be hard when you're always pouring into others. So pull up a chair, grab your favorite food, and let's dig in. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Rosie, and I'm so happy to introduce today's guest. We initially bonded over speaking some hard truths on the internet and also our entrepreneurial spirits. It's Rosie Estrada, better known as Behavior Fi. Hi, Rosie. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Are you ready for our meal? Yes, I'm starving. Awesome. I see our first plate coming out of the kitchen. So for today's amuse-bouche, what are you most looking forward to in 2024? Yeah, so 2024 is actually going to be a pretty big year for me um, because I don't know if you know, but I am back in school. Well, I've been back in school for a little bit now. It's about to be two years, actually. So this year I start my internships. Ah. So that's going to be a big adjustment and a big shift in my life. Um, You know, I'm going to have to figure out how to balance that with you know, my small business and also my full-time job. Um, So there might be some adjustments that will need to be made at some point, but I'm just looking forward to learning more about um, the field of counseling and mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just completely new for me. I've been in the field of ABA since I was 19. So this is going to be a completely different experience. Um, but I'm really excited for it. I'm really excited to see what what it's all about. And there is a part of me that does want to just get it out of the way. <laughs> you no, know, that's not something you just get out of the way. Like, I really want to take that opportunity to learn and, and at least get that first um, blueprint of what my job will be in the future. So that's probably that. And in terms of responsibilities, but I'm also looking forward to I'm going to Puerto Rico Oh, nice. Next month in February. So I'm excited for that because I've never been there. So that's something like, I guess, like a personal uh, thing I'm looking forward to. So that's going to be cool. And also on my birthday, which is April 11th, I'm going to go see Bad Bunny in concert. So I'm super excited because I'm a huge fan. So overall, (laughs) to finish answering your question, I think 2024 is looking busy, but exciting. And I just foresee a lot of new things and experiences uh, coming for me. Nice. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. I mean, first off, like the juggling of everything is always like slightly stressful, but like 
I also think, I know I don't know you like in person, but knowing you through online, like it seems like busy is kind of like your forte. Like you really thrive in that. Um, Because I also thrive in the busyness, even though wintertime, I'm trying really hard to kind of follow like the natural rhythm of the earth. I know that's super like hippy dippy, but like slowing down, I'm like, oh, it's okay. It's okay if I like sleep in a little bit or like take a long lunch and all of that. Um, exciting about travel. I love traveling. Um, I haven't planned out my 2024 travel plans, but, uh, I saw a psychic. I don't know if I've talked about this on the, on the podcast yet. Um, I saw a psychic back in October and she said that my husband and I have a trip in 2024 that we haven't even planned yet. And I was like, First off, because I tend to skew negative, I was just like, is it a good trip or is it like, oh, no, I got to like go back home because something bad happened. She's like, no, no, it's a good trip. I was like, okay. And then and then we joke like, is it, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like what comes first that we were already going to plan a trip or now we are going to plan a trip because she said it. But we'll see about that. And then concerts. Yeah, that's super fun. Yay. 2024 is going to be a, a good year, I think, for a lot of people, I hope. Yeah. I do see um, on your stories, you do travel a lot. I actually really enjoy when you share, like, all the foods you're trying and everything. I think, <laughs> um, And you've been to a lot of places that I that I really want to go to. That's so cool. Yeah, I love traveling. Travel's exciting. Puerto Rico. I've never been there. That sounds really fun. Do you know anyone down there? Or are you traveling by yourself? I'm going with a big group of friends because it's one of um, one of our friends' birthdays. She is Puerto Rican. She has she has been there before, um, but most of us have not been there before. So she wanted to go there for her birthday, and we were like, "Let's go." Um, in terms of food that I'm excited to eat, I mean, I'm excited to eat all the food, but it, <laughs> I don't really think there's going to be anything new for me because I'm Cuban and we share a lot of the same dishes. We just call them different things, so. I don't know. Maybe I'll be surprised and I'll find something new, but um, it's going to be delicious. I just don't think it'll be like a, a, a new experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know a ton of like the differences, but there's like subtle differences between a lot of like the Latin American foods. Uh, we tried a restaurant when we were in Florida and they were very uh, particular on like how they worded things like there was like a like five different empanadas, but they're like, this is the Cuban empanada. This is the Venezuelan empanada, like, and so forth. Yeah, sometimes we have the same exact dish and then we call them different things. But sometimes we have the same name for a dish, but they're different dishes. <laughs> <laughs> there is definitely a lot of similarities. I was just talking to someone the other day who asked me, are Cuban sandwiches actually like Cuban sandwiches? And I was like, to be honest with you, not really. Like they're only called Cuban sandwiches because they have pork in them and Cubans are known for eating pork a lot. But mm. if you go to Cuba, you wouldn't ask for a Cuban sandwich. You'll probably just get a ham and cheese sandwich like you would anywhere else. Um, so that whole like Cuban sandwich thing, I think it's really just because of the pork part. Yeah. Let's get to our appetizers. So for our first appetizer, how did you get into behavior analysis? This is honestly a question I really enjoy talking about because it's such like a 
fate type of situation. Um, and I know that for a lot of people in ABA, especially like, you know, if you've been in ABA for like I don't know, over five years, because now I think it's more becoming more common. But mm-hmm. I think there was a point where it was like ABA, what is that? And I, I think mm-hmm. it's still to some extent, but I think a little less. So um, I had no idea what ABA was when I first started college. So it was never really like what I thought my career was going to be. Um, I was actually an English major because I wanted to be a teacher. So my plan was to be an English teacher for um, middle school and high school. I didn't really want to do elementary school, which is ironic because now my favorite clients are the little ones. <laughs> but I never really saw myself teaching the little ones. I'm more, more wanted to be with like, not necessarily middle school because middle school is like a terrible age. <laughs> but I really saw myself like as a high school teacher because, you know, they're a little bit more mature. And that was just like my vision. Um, but after taking like all my prereqs, um, I was like, I am not sure I want to do this anymore. Um, even though like I never really lost the passion of teaching, I was just looking at the curriculum that I had, like the classes I had to take and everything for my major. And I was like, oh my God, this looks terrible. I don't want to do any of this. So it just really made me question my career choice. So I spent all of that first summer after my first year of college, just trying to figure out what to do. And I like, in my mind, played around with a bunch of different careers. I was thinking like maybe nursing. I even thought about dropping out and um, getting a technical degree. Um, But my mom was like, no, you know, I'm a first generation. (laughs) So she was like, no, like my dream is to see you graduate, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, I don't really know what to do. So at that time, I used to work at a hardware store and um, that was my first job and I hated it so much. So I was (laughs) like, okay, I do not see myself working in retail. I do not have the patience for customer service. Um, So I definitely need to do something with my life. Um, So I had this coworker and one day she just goes to me like, oh, you know, my friend does this thing and I think I want to do it too. Like she works with kids that have, you know, like different needs. And she kind of like gave me a rundown of like what an RBT is, but I didn't know what RBT was at the time. So when she told me, I was like, that sounds kind of cool. Like it sounds like kind of like teaching, but also like a little bit more than that. So I was Mm -hmm. like, let me look into that. So I started looking for jobs like that with like the description that she gave me. She did say something about like RBT. So I'm like, okay, what is that? Like, let me Google. Let me look into this. So I ended up finding my first like technician job. And I was 19 at the time. I was going on my second year of college. So I was like, okay, let me, you know, again, let me look into this. And then I I got hired for my first job and I changed my major to psychology because I was like, this is so cool. I can have a whole career in this field that I didn't even know existed. (laughs) So I changed my major to psychology. And at least at the time in the school that I went to, I went to Florida International University. The psychology major fit perfectly with the ABA requirements. Mm -hmm. I took those classes. um, Again, they they just felt perfectly within my major and I became a BCABA. And then, you know, I got my master's and now we're here. (laughs) But yeah, it was just kind of like, it just, everything just worked out the way that it needed to. Like, you know, had I never gotten this job that I really hated at the time, I would have never (laughs) met this person who told me what an RBT was, that I had no idea what it was. And I looked into it and 
um, I feel like everything was just like perfect timing and and the way that it needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. And it's great that you were able to kind of like catch it early enough so you could finish out like your bachelor's with like learning that so you can get get into the field like earlier. Um, but I think it's super similar. Like I also went to school to become a teacher, but I saw it. I just stuck it out uh, all the way through my master's. Um, but then graduated and there were no, there were no teaching jobs, which is like, wow. Cause now I think it's flip-flopped back, but yeah, I think it's great when, when you like find a field or you find anything, a field, a job, uh, a passion that kind of just like fits. And it seems like all of the pieces are starting to connect together that, that like the universe is aligning of something that you're supposed to be doing. So that's really, it's exciting. It's so exciting. Um, and I feel like you've done so much with it already, but what is something that you would tell yourself when you were just getting started with it? I think at that time, I really thought, especially like after being a BCABA and like, I'm like, okay, well, the one thing that makes the most sense is that I become a BCBA because that's just how you climb up that particular mm-hmm. ladder. So I wish I would have told myself to be a little bit more open, like maybe with my degree, for example. And so right now being back in school, a lot of people ask me if any of my credits transferred or anything like that, and they didn't. So I have to get a whole new master's degree because my degree was just in behavior analysis. And I know there are like at least a couple of programs that you can get your degree in, let's say, clinical mental health and mm-hmm. like an emphasis or a focus in behavior analysis. So your degree is a little bit more um, flexible. Yeah. So um, that's another thing I get a lot of questions about, like you know, I'm not too sure if I only want to be a BCBA. And it's like, you don't only have to be a BCBA or you don't only have to get your master's degree in behavior analysis. Um, At that time, it just felt like what made the most sense. And I Mm -hmm. don't regret it because again, it's like everything just worked out the way that it needed to, because I got my degree um, from a New York state school when I lived in Florida but it was remote. And honestly, I just chose that school because it was the most affordable option that I was able to Mm -hmm. find. Um, I had no plans at that point to move to New York. I was actually in a, like a very long-term relationship. Um, so that, that was not in my foreseeable future at all. It was really just by chance that I ended up picking that school. And the reason that's important is because when I moved to New York, Um, the only reason I was able to move when I did is because I went to that school that was New York state. Cause for a while, for a long time, licensure in New York was really difficult. Like now things Mm -hmm. have gotten better. And as long as you're a BCBA, you're, you know, you can apply and you know, you pay the fees that you need to pay and you can become a New York LBA. But when I moved here, it was not like that. So the job that I found, the only reason that they hired me was because they were confident that New York State was going to approve me for licensure because I had gone to a New York State school. So yeah, long story short, if it wasn't for that specific decision, I would maybe not be here right now. And I really Mm -hmm. love New York. So I'm happy about that. But um, yeah, I I really just felt for a while that, you know, I've already committed to this field. I've been in it for a few years. I just have to be a BCBA. And I, you know, I I don't think that's true. And I would tell like younger generations of aspiring BCBAs that sure you can do it, but 
you can be open to other things. You can be open to doing it and then wanting to do something else. Like, it, you know, it, you, you're you able to change and be flexible with those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's a, I get asked that a lot by people who are about to start their program or thinking about starting their program. So that would probably be my biggest piece of advice. Like just be flexible and know that you don't have to fully commit to one thing. You can, if you want to, if it's your only true passion, then go for it. But I feel like I'm a person of many different passions. Yeah. So I don't think that's me, but yeah, that would be what I would tell myself uh, to my younger self. I think it's good advice, even if people want to only do behavior analysis or ABA, because I think that can even look different. You can do different things. I mean, are you still doing the fitness coaching? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a personal trainer and I do consult here and there. Yeah, but that uses our science. It does, 100%. And when I was taking the course to become a personal trainer, a lot of it was very much like I could see the techniques, even if it wasn't because they do have like a whole behavioral change um, mm-hmm. like after. But even outside of that, like things like, it's called progressive overload. It just, in my head, I'm like, oh, that's shaping. Yeah. <laughs> so, like little things like that. It just means that you add on more weight to your set as you go. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's shaping. So just little things like that, that I would like learn about, um, even if they weren't supposed to be within that behavior modification chapter, I would, I would still able to say, oh, okay, I could see like which behavioral principle falls into that. And it does make it easier to understand. And when you obviously like working with clients, you you know a lot about behavior change. So it is very, very helpful to have this background to do that job as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can do so many things. You can create CEUs, which we both do. Um, you can help with supervision, mentorship. You can work in a school, in a clinic, in a home, in a residential, in the prison system, you know. So yeah. I think it's it's true across the board, whether you niche down into behavior analysis or you kind of cast your net more widely, you know. It's behaviors everywhere, as they say. True. Okay, let's see our palate cleanser course. So I wanted to ask, since you're in New York, what is your go-to meal in New York? What do you always recommend to everybody? Mm, Recommendations. Honestly, I want to say since I moved here, aside of like the place right around the corner from where I live now that I go there all the time, not necessarily because I recommend it, but more so because it's there. um, I feel like I like to try different things. So I haven't like found like a spot that I'm like, I have to go there every so often. I think the one thing that I found like a little sushi spot here that I've never had that type of sushi before. And mind you, I'm not like super well-versed in sushi because I don't eat seafood. I only eat crab. But this place just has like this amazing like spicy blue crab um, sushi roll and it's called Bondi Sushi. So if you're ever in New York, they have other things as well. It's called Bondi Sushi. Um, they have like a few locations like throughout New York City. So that would probably be it. Like if I really want sushi, that's probably where I'm going to want to get it from. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's just so many places to eat in New York and yeah. there's like there's all kinds of food here. I really love Indian food. 
I've tried different spots and they're all just so good. Like mm-hmm. I've never found an Indian food spot here that I was like, ew, <laughs> they're all so good. <laughs> um, so Indian food is a top one for me. Um, they have a lot of Mexican spots. Of course, they have pizza spots. Mm-hmm. I'm not too big on the the bagels. A lot of people want to try like a bacon, egg and cheese because, again, it's like a New York staple. I don't really care for that. So I would not be the person to ask that question to. <laughs> um, and in terms of pizza, I just really like white slice pizza. I don't know if you ever had that. So good. I'm not too big on tomato sauce. So I'll eat a regular pizza slice. But this pizza, it doesn't have tomato sauce. It's just like all cheese and like white sauce. And I like white pizzas. Yeah, they're good. It's so, so good. So if anybody is listening and they want to come to New York, make sure you try a white slice if you haven't because it's so good. One of my favorite pizzas, the base is a pistachio pesto base. And then the rest, I mean, the rest of the ingredients are good too. You know, it's just like cheese and arugula. But I think what really makes it is that like pistachio pesto as a base. So good. That sounds really interesting. That sounds really good. Let's get to our entrees. Uh, What is an insult that you've received that you're actually proud of? It's so funny because I've been thinking of creating a post about this. Um, And I've had some people agree with me. Like they would just tell me and I'm like, oh, same exact thing happened to me. Um, One time I was told, by one of my bosses that I'm too combative. And that is the first time I've ever heard that before, like being said to me. And at the time, you know, I was like, okay. (laughs) I didn't really know what it meant. Um, They were, you know, just giving me like the performance evaluation and like majority of the feedback was good. But then she was like mentioned that as a constructive criticism. So I was like, okay, I'm combative. Okay. And that kind of like stuck with me. And I feel like now myself being a supervisor, funny enough, I had an experience yesterday that I thought was really eye opening. And I guess this person would also be labeled as combative, but I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I was supervising one of my technicians and I I love this technician. We get along really well. We have a really good relationship. Um, And, you know, I, I respect the fact that technicians spend more of their time with our clients than we do. So I always um, appreciate their input and and their opinions on things. So the client's about to have a tantrum. I gave a piece of feedback and she tells me like, you know, mind you, we're in the middle of handling a tantrum. So she just said no. She didn't have the time to explain, but she said no to me. And I feel like sometimes BCBAs could take that the wrong way and find it disrespectful. But then we talked about it and she explained herself and like why she said no. And and she didn't mean to be disrespectful. Um, and I told her, no, you were actually right. Like what I, the, the advice that I gave wasn't appropriate in the moment. And you actually knew how to handle the situation mm. really as it shows. So yeah, I feel like in that moment you could say, oh, this person's combative. She said no to me. How dare she? Um, but in reality, like it's valid and she was right Mm -hmm. and I wasn't, and and, you know, it's fine to admit that. But I think that sometimes when you're a super supervisor and a boss, like there's a power dynamic and that ego Mm. that doesn't let you see that. And, you know, I've been also reading some articles, especially because I just presented a CEU on supervision and feedback, 
Um, and even our articles are kind of like not the most encouraging of supervisees and trainees saying no or yeah. um, explaining. And, you know, there are certain barriers to receiving feedback. Like if the person is visibly upset, like that's different, you know, but I think it's I think it's valid and appropriate to allow people to explain themselves. And the reason she called me combative is because sometimes I, you know, if I was given feedback, I would explain myself. And, you know, it's not like I'm explaining myself because I think you're wrong and I'm right, but more so I I want you to see where I'm coming from. And sometimes too, if you don't ask me, I'm going to have to find my own way of explaining myself because I ask my trainees, I'm like, oh, you know, like, why do you think that's the case? Why, why did you think mm-hmm. that was like the best thing to do? But if you're, I wasn't asked those questions. So in my mind it's like, well, you're not going to ask me why I did X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to have to find my own way to tell <laughs> I gotta you. Tell you. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, at that time, again, when she said that to me, I was like, whoa, um, okay. You know, I kind of just processed it, but the more I think about it, I'm like, I just feel like they called me combative because I'm not just a yes person and I ask questions and I like clarification. I like conversations. So that's an insult that I'm kind of proud of. You bring up like two really good points. One part, like that feedback in general, like even as a constructive criticism, and I'm putting like heavy quotes around that. I highly doubt they would ever say that to a man. You know, it's like, I think women are supposed to be like, oh, yes, yes. Like, whatever you say, you're the superior. Even if it's a woman supervisor, it's still like inherently that is what we're trained. And so inherently you're going to think your direct staff should also be quiet and agreeable. Um, but also like, of course, you're gonna, you're gonna explain yourself because you have like reasons for doing what you're doing. And I think it's really great how you took that. And now when you look at your trainees and your supervisees and direct staff, that you give them that space to push back. Um, and I tell my staff that a lot, and I think some of them listen to this, uh, so they can, you know, uh, argue with me if they feel like it when I see them during supervision. But I'm like, here's the thing: like, yes, I have the education, I have the four letters after my name, and yada yada, all of that stuff. But you're the one that's with the client, you know, you're the one with the learner. And so, if you think in this moment, you should do X, Y, and Z. Like I am always open to that. I do believe you will generally know more about the situation than me. But if you then ask me like what I would do, I'll give you, you know, like I'll give you some feedback and then it usually turns into a conversation. And and that doesn't have to be just with like distressed responses. Like sometimes we got into a really good conversation about um, like sustained attention, uh, the learner, we had kind of gotten through like a crisis point where he was just, you know, a lot of really big distressed behaviors, screaming, throwing things, aggression, self-injurious behavior, like everything under the sun. And now we are coming out of that, like this is a, a, across a few months, uh, and we were trying to figure out how to like repair the relationship and also bring in more activities instead of just like I think he was so like burned out from it himself that he would just kind of like lay in bed. And so we were coming up with different activities and I was giving that space for uh, the RBT to come up with like what does work. And then when I would say something like, oh, like how about Play-Doh? 
then she could be like, oh, well, he's like, not just like nibbling Play-Doh, he's like full on putting the whole thing in his mouth. And I'm like, okay. And then um, it's a two technician house. And so then the other technician also could come over and be like, oh, what about this? And so we could all kind of like problem solve and come up with ideas together. And I think that's just better for everyone. That's better for obviously the learner it comes down to the learner, but then also like the caregivers to see that like we are a team and we're going to work together. It's better for my staff to feel like they can problem solve and come to me. And it's even better for me because I don't have to feel like I have to have the number one answer. It's like, yeah, let's work together or let's think about this. I agree with that. For our second entree, um, if you could remove all like barriers, constraints, uh, money ties, anything, what project do you think you would do? Yeah. So I think with those uh, barriers and constraints removed, I think it would be so cool to have like a really big gym situation for all kinds of people, uh, kids, adults, teens, special needs. But I I wouldn't just want it to be any kind of gym. I, I would think it would be a gym with like a mental health department because mm. And, you know, maybe even BCBAs in there, like that would be cool um, because I view health as a very holistic thing. I would consider myself a gym rat. So when I hear other people who like go to the gym and they're like, haha, this is my therapy. Haha, I go to the gym and like uh, to solve my problems. And it's like, do you really though? <laughs> like, as someone who loves working out and it does make me feel better because scientifically speaking, you release happy hormones. Right. I know that the gym is not equivalent to therapy. It's something great that, you know, you could do for yourself. A lot of people actually enjoy the act of exercising and, you know, it has health benefits. But I think that's one aspect of what health is. Um, mental health is equally important. So mm-hmm. I don't really I don't really agree with that idea of like the gym is going to solve all my issues. Because it won't. And then on that same token, like you could take care of your mental health, but maybe neglect your physical health. Mm-hmm. So it really, um, it, it it's really like both things matter. I think holistic also includes like spiritual and, you know, mental with, you know, like, I guess like some of my passions, I think it would be cool to have something like that where, you know, it's inclusive of all kinds of people. And we support these two very important aspects of health. I think that's really important. And it's an interesting concept because like, uh, I am not a gym rat, (laughs) but I know, I know some things. But one thing that I think of is, uh, so like, it's really common when people work out or stretch their hips, they release a lot of emotions and a lot of people can tend to like cry and it can be cathartic to get that kind of like energy out um, mm-hmm. and cry. But then whatever emotions um, and memories or trauma or anything was brought up, if then it isn't worked through with maybe like a mental health provider, then it's like, great, you got a great cry out. I'm glad for you. But like you didn't actually process anything. So I think that's a really awesome concept to look at, like, okay, so you do um, these certain kind of exercises and then you go have like a therapy appointment or vice versa. You work through something in in a therapy appointment and then you go like run off that extra energy that has like accumulated. Yeah, that sounds really, 
fun and like such an like idyllic type of yeah. world. That's probably not a word, but I'm going to go with it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think it would be super cool. Um, and I might not do both, but I might do one of them. Like realistically, mm-hmm. I guess, because there we do have those barriers and constraints. So maybe I won't do both, but I'll do at least one of them. But both together, I think would be super cool. Like I only imagine like, you know, going to a gym and they're like, yeah, we have our mental health department upstairs. You're welcome to. Yeah. <laughs> but I've never seen such a thing. I'd, I'm not sure that it exists. I could be wrong, but I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's people out there. Like I'm pretty sure um, Lauren from Holistic Behaviorist, I feel like she answered something very similar to that. Like having one building that has because there are places that have ABA and speech and OT. And so that's mm-hmm. great. But then like adding in um, family counseling or even marriage counseling in there. And then like putting in more of the, like the nutrition and the movement and the working out and everything. Like if you could put it all under one roof um, yeah. and you work through all of it, both, you know, as adults, as families, as our little learners, all of that, that would be what a world to strive towards, I guess. I'll say. I agree. Yeah. Well, on that sweet note, our dessert is coming out. So what is your favorite thing about yourself? I would say that um, I really admire that I, I strive to grow into the best version of myself. And I know that sounds like kind of corny. A lot of people say that. (laughs) But I I believe that I, you know, especially in the last few years, especially in the last year specifically, Mm -hmm. um, I've been working on myself really hard, you know, as like a growing adult, certain pivotal moments have happened and very recently. Um, And, you know, it's just been a lot of hard and difficult situations that in the moment, it feels like, oh, my God, like, how am I ever going to get through this or get over this? But even in those like very difficult moments, I haven't given up on myself. And I've really just done like, quote unquote, the work. And the work to me is whatever I need to do to get through those moments and through those situations. So in that instance, was seeking mental health help, um, which has helped me tremendously. Um, but, you know, like therapy and, and counseling is it's just one step. It really mm-hmm. like takes a lot of effort to work on yourself outside of that therapy room. Um, again, it's amazing. And I believe in it 100%, which is why I want to do that as a career. But I also know that it takes a lot of personal, personal strength and will to mm-hmm. do the work on your own when you're not with your therapist. So I feel like one thing I really admire about myself is that and just like my resilience and, and bravery to get through those difficult moments and my bravery to just do what I feel is right for myself, like the decision to go back to school that wasn't easy to make because, you know, a lot of reasons, right? Like more student debt, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) adding a lot more onto my plate. And, you know, even before applying to school, I kept thinking about like, oh, eventually I'm going to have to do internships and probably going to have to take a pay cut for a while. Um, But Mm. it's just, you know, it's part of the process and looking at the bigger picture and saying, you know what, that's what I want. And I think it's really brave. And that was the same case when I decided to move to New York. It was new and it was scary. And I really, I didn't really know anybody here. Um, mm-hmm. 
now all my friends have moved scattered across the U.S. But in the moment, it was like most of my friends still lived in Florida mm-hmm. and I was the first one to go. So that was that was very hard. Um, but I knew it was something that I, I felt in my heart was right for me. So mm-hmm. I was able to follow that. And, you know, whenever I'm in a position where like I have to make a hard decision and I'm, you know, of course, feel scared like everybody I remind myself like, okay, you know, like trust yourself because so far every hard decision you've had to make for the most part has led to the right thing and good results. Being able to work on yourself, um, whether you go to therapy or not, like still being able to like work on yourself and grow and like take your life lessons um, and expand on them is really important for like all human beings to be doing. Like if we're not moving forward, then what are we doing in life? Uh, whether we're moving backwards or even just being stagnant, like uh, what's the old phrase? I might be, I might be making this up, but like stagnant water brings like mosquitoes and stuff. And so like being stagnant in your life is only going to bring like viruses and bacteria. <laughs> I've never That's heard a gross that analogy. <laughs> Such a gross analogy. Maybe I just made that up. My brain is can be kind of weird sometimes. But um, I think obviously like people don't know you, like people that know you on Instagram, like don't know you through and through. But like I can tell that you've made a lot of progress and have gone through so many different like shifts and changes and growth over over the couple years that I've known you on there. Um I think being able to be honest about it and like show people that like, yeah, like life isn't all like rainbows and daisies all the time. Like we all have different things that we're going through. Some aren't as public. Um, Some of them you intentionally keep to yourself because that's your private information that no one needs to know about. And that just opens a whole nother like can of worms in my brain of like, I think you can relate to this that a lot of times people think what we put online is our entire life. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I pick and choose what I put on there. And and there's stuff that you might never know about. Like I might look like I share a lot, but you don't, you don't know everything. So don't assume if something's not online, then I'm not doing it or vice versa. Um, And I think that's important for people to know uh, and people that want to grow their Instagram, if they want to do that, like you don't have to share everything. Like there's some people that never put their partners on there. Yeah, no, I agree with with what you're saying. You can be online a lot, but that doesn't mean that you're putting out everything about your life. And I I actually dated someone who um, kind of felt like, even aside of my professional page, like even on my personal page, I post, I want to say I post almost daily on my personal page, but it's really just like a gym selfie and maybe some food and maybe like every now and then go out. So to some people, they feel like they know you because of that. Oh yeah, she goes to the gym and like sometimes she goes out with her friends, but like I only share what I care for others to see. There's so much about life that I, you know, I don't share. It's just, you know, Sometimes I have felt like sharing certain things, but I'm going to be honest. Like, I don't think I'm that level of vulnerable, like mm-hmm. comfortable with being vulnerable. Like to some mm-hmm. extent, some things, yes, like I'll share and I'll be like, you know, transparent. But there are other things where I'm like, I just don't want to talk about this. And I yeah. think that's, okay. you know, we're all allowed that privacy. 
Um, but I agree hundred percent, like just because someone's online every day and posts quite, um, frequently, that does not mean that, you know, everything that's going on in the back end. Like I see sometimes, um, you know, like going down through memory lane in my head and like, you know, every now and then I'll think about these specific hard situations that I'm talking about and I'll see, like, I'll go on, you know, the memories in my story and I'm like, I was posting this and that and that while my entire world was falling apart, but like nobody yeah. would have known. Like I'll be mm-hmm. like, oh, I remember the day I recorded that reel. That day was really hard. And like you yeah. just surreal. You don't know what's behind, like what else happened in that specific day. So yeah, social media. Yeah, you got to remember that people only post what they want you to see. <laughs> There's a yeah. lot of those stories. Yeah, definitely. I think the best thing that I saw was like, like post a time where like your world was falling apart, but you were smiling, something like that. And people would post these like pictures of them, like hiking or like out to dinner. And they're like, but really I was in like a narcissistic abusive relationship, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And so it's like, you don't always know. And that's on social media or in person, like the people that you work with, the people you see every day, you don't really know what's going on with them. Um, I think one of the oldest phrases is like, basically what I just said, you don't know what's going on in someone else's life. Like someone could be like shopping at Target, but like they're shopping for a funeral because their mom just died. You know, it's like, you don't, you don't know and you shouldn't like assume. So Uh, this dessert got a little salty. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what's that? Like chocolate with sea salt. That's what it was. I was like, that chocolate with a little sea salt caramel or something on there. Okay, our second dessert, and hopefully we can keep it sweet. What are your hopes for the future of ABA? Okay, first, I think that I've I've grown a lot of passion towards um, the topics of supervision. And I think that it's one of the big ways to, quote unquote, fix a lot. Not every problem, because there are so many problems. (laughs) Um, I'm not trying to be negative, but, you know, just being real. Um, But I think that... I view supervision like the same way that I view parenting in a way. I'm not a parent, but what I know about parenting and parenting styles, which is that's why I did the CU with SNAB about parenting styles is because, you know, we we have all these conversations in society of how to become better parents than the parents you had or like mm-hmm. why are you different than the parents that you had and how, how can you better see your children in the ways that you weren't supported And I think that I like to think about supervision that way. Like, what am I going to provide to my supervisees and trainees that I didn't necessarily have when I was in their shoes and, you know, fix that toxic cycle, generational trauma type deal. I believe in that a lot. I think that if you're able to model good supervision practices to someone else, hopefully they'll be able to take on and do the same for the next generation and the next and the next. And I think that could really help because I feel like I already see that, Um, you know, and, and I always remind myself that as relates to Instagram, like that's my own little bubble of ABA Mm -hmm. that I see and, you know, the kind of community that I've created. And I'm aware that outside of that community, there's a lot that goes on that maybe I don't even know about, but I feel like it is the truth that more people have become aware of certain things and have been able to reflect on their past experiences and say, you know what, I think I want to be this kind of supervisor. I want to provide this kind of support. So I think through supervision, we can make our field better and stronger because we're shaping 
the future professionals of our field, which ultimately will affect everything that we do and like the progress of our clients. So I think that one of my hopes for the future of ABA is just stronger, competent, caring, compassionate supervisors, because, you know, it's it's a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think it's important because it's like, um, I think it was Tyra, Dr. Tyler Sellers that had posted like the zombie supervisor who like bites three supervisees and then they bite, you know, And so it kind of goes that way. So it's like the people that you are training, supervising, whether they're just direct staff or they're actually going to get their BCBA um, credentials. It's like it's important on how you let's go back to parenting, how you raise them in the field. And so if they feel supported and open to for feedback, both, you know, like bi-directional feedback. Um, then they will become supervisors who are also open to bi-directional feedback and being supportive to their supervisees and so on and so on. So, yeah, I also hope that I'm right there with you. Yeah. (laughs) So we are at our nightcap. Um, I just wanted to ask if there was anything else that you wanted to mention or if there's any new projects that you want to share. To be honest, I'm not taking on a whole lot of new projects right now because of, you know, like I was talking about next year, my internship. So I'm trying, what I'm trying to do right now is, uh, you know, as as you know, and like maybe some listeners know, I have my uh, study prep materials. So what I'm working on right now is just translating everything into the sixth edition task list that's Mm. Oh, in 2025, but you know, you got to start that before 2025. People are going to be prepping for the exam, like probably by the middle of the year. So I'm working on translating everything that I finished not so long ago, but the board just, you know, they do what they do. And we just keeps on updating. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to update all of my materials and, um, you know, I, I do plan to work on a couple more CUs at least because I really enjoy them. Um, I know you've taught a few as well. And I, I you know, you probably feel the same way because you were also going to be a teacher. And it's just like it, you, you still get that teaching experience out of it. So I think it's yeah. really cool. So probably some more CEUs is what I foresee in the future. Maybe like a mini mock exam here and there. Um, but I feel like anything huge and time consuming probably will have to wait until I am done with school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I And I still think you're saying... You're saying you're not doing a lot, but that sounds like a lot. So, <laughs> I mean, I love making the the CEUs, but I feel like I, I there's definitely procrastination, but it usually takes me, you know, like four to six months to like come around yeah. to actually like creating yeah. one. So they take time because, you know, you have to do your research and it, it's a lot more than the presentation that people see. It does take yeah. a lot yeah. for sure. I'm on the same boat. It does take me a, a probably, yeah, same thing, four to six months. Awesome. So if listeners don't know where to find you, where can they find you and um, everything about your mocks and your study prep materials and your CEUs? So I am most active definitely on Instagram. It's at BehaviorFy, so Behavior F-Y. And in terms of my study materials, you can find that on my website, which is www.behaviorfy.net. Um, that's where you can find all the study prep stuff and mock exams. And um, I've just started to do my own CUs, but 
I do have a couple of CEUs with Study Notes ABA, so you can check that out as well. They're great. Aside of my own CEUs, I honestly recommend like all of their CEUs, including yours, Rosie's. Study Notes ABA CEUs, they just have a different vibe to them, I feel. <laughs> you can find the other ones on there. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing a bite with us. Um, Everyone listening, please go follow Rosie on Instagram um, or her website. All of the links will be in the show notes. Um, Also on my website, as always, you can find me on Instagram at rosieeatsbx or my website, rosiebx.com. If you enjoyed the show, please help my dissemination efforts by leaving a rating and a review so others find it. And until our next meal, bye. bye. Thank you.